Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. Lord, we pray that as we come to Your Word today, that we would just be willing to open the eyes of our hearts to hear Your message. Lord God, I pray that if it's not from You, take it from me. Don't allow me to say it. I pray, Lord, that we would hear Your Word and heed Your Word in every step and everything that we do. Lord, help us to love each other well and love You well. Because God, when we do those things You say in Scripture that the non-believers will see it and say, what do they have? Jesus Christ was sent from God because the fact that we love each other well. Lord, help us to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Help us to truly love each other well and to stop getting into bickering and fighting over things that aren't really that big a deal. I thank You for America, Lord, but it's not my Savior. You are. I thank You for this country, but it does nothing in the way of getting me to know You more. Uh, This might get me in trouble, God, but Jesus wasn't an American. He was God, the Son, sent to save all of us wretched people. Thank You for this country that we can be here and without persecution worship You together here today. Lord, I pray for those countries who hate You who persecute Christians for following You. Lord, You said we would be hated because of Your name. I thank You that we are hated because of Your name. Because it's not about us, it's about You. So God, we just pray that You be glorified in all that we do. Help us to understand You more today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're getting back to the basics. So I've been here, I've been gone for a week, and... I'm going to try and recap what I talked about two weeks ago. But I want to clarify something for you. Because I know that you're concerned. Many of you are concerned with my teachings a couple weeks ago. So, I want you to know that I care about each and every one of you. I do. Um, you're here for a purpose. And God loves you. God loves you more than I can even ever try to. And that's the thing I want you to know. Um, You are a purpose that is important to Him. You're in a purpose that's important to me as well. So first, I didn't say anything about changing anything last two weeks ago. I didn't say we're changing anything. So if that's the impression you got from me, I'm sorry. That's not my goal. I wasn't telling you we're changing everything or anything. In fact, I even told the elders when I first applied or became a candidate here, I wasn't going to change anything for the first year because I want to get to know you guys better. I learned that from Ford CEO Alan Malawi. He took over at Ford. He was asked by the board, what are you going to do? He came from Boeing, a completely different industry. And he said, I'm not going to do anything. You board members are smarter than me. You've been doing this for 30 plus years or more. I'm going to let you do your things and I'm not going to make any changes. I may make some minor changes that I think might help us out. But as a structural thing, I'm not going to do anything. Then he made some drastic changes a year later. He made some drastic changes that in 2008, when we had the housing bubble happen, what was the only company in the United States that didn't take bailout money? Ford Motor Company. So, let me just start off by saying, I'm not making any changes in the church. 
with regards to our Constitution. But I am asking you to truly ask yourself the question if we are doing things properly, if we are holding to Scripture properly. That's what I'm asking us to do. I'm calling that into question. I'm not saying it's wrong. And by the way, I'm not smarter than older people than me. Just to tell you now, I am no smarter than any of you. Yeah, I have a master's degree. Yes, I study the Word every day. But I'm no smarter. And God has a Holy Spirit who speaks to you. So I'm encouraging you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then come talk to me. Tradition, in my opinion, is very, very important. But if we're holding on to a tradition that is completely wrong or unbiblical, I'm going to ask us to stop. That's what you're going to get from me. That's all I'm asking. Okay? I hope to clarify that for you. I'm not saying I'm coming in here, guns a-blazing, changing everything. And I'm not saying that I'm smarter than all the people of the past. What I am trying to say is, we need to be careful what we hold on to. What golden calves we're holding on to. Because tradition is very important and it has its place. So if you got that impression, I'm sorry, that was not my intent. However, I talked about last week or two weeks ago, Jesus attacking our pride. Pride is a severely distorted love for self or history or church history or even church tradition. That's what pride is. In fact, pride is so bad and can and will be, when it's unchecked, it leaks into the church. We're proud that we have traditions here and that we've done things this way or that way for decades or it's always the way we've done it. And that's fine. But I told you two weeks ago to remember to let go of your pride and be willing to be re-examining our doctrinal convictions to reject the judgments of some of our most respected teachers in order to understand Scripture. Because guess what? They were men, just like I am, who may have made a mistake. Just because they were a bit in the past doesn't mean that they were always right but it doesn't mean that they were wrong either. Question it. Find out if we're doing it right. Because if we're not, we shouldn't be doing it. If it goes against the teaching of grace and forgiveness and love, which Christ preached, then stop doing it. That's all I'm asking. I hope that makes sense, and I don't mean to upset you. Because we have to be willing to re-examine our doctrinal issues, our golden calves per se, in order to know what God's trying to tell us about ourselves. If we're not willing to re-examine our positions or even question them in this church, then we have to have a, we have to come to God with a repentant heart and ask for forgiveness. Because again, we're trying to think that we're smarter than God. We can't, and I'll say it again, we can't think that we have it right all the time. And again, I don't know everything. I don't know it all. And I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just willing to question everything. And I've told you before, I'm going to fail you in many areas. That's the truth. So please don't get it in your head that I know everything and that I'm saying that all the other teachers in the past are wrong. Maybe they had it right. I just want to double check. I want to scripturally double check what they're saying. So, it only took Israel and Aaron 40 days to erect a golden calf when Moses was gone. We've been here for 161 years. Ask yourself the question, you think we got any golden calves here? Because again, I talked about it last week. God hates divorce. I said it before, I'll say it again. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. But God's original purpose for marriage was between a man and a woman, and it's supposed to be a lifelong monogamous relationship. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. 
Whether you like that message or not, whether you think it's fair or not, whether I think it's fair or not, doesn't matter. It's His message. It's His Word. And if this is true, then we have to heed what He says. If it's not true, then throw it out and do whatever you want. Trust me, that's what people do today in America. They don't like what He says. They don't like His message. So they want to do what they want to do because they want to be God. Whether they like me saying that to them or not, it doesn't matter. It's the truth. And if we're doing the same thing in the church, then we have to examine ourselves. That's what I'm asking us to do. So that we can take, because Christ asks us, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. He's asking us to judge people and to do it rightly. People say all the time, which is a stupid myth, Christians aren't supposed to judge. It's bad to judge. No, you need to learn to judge rightly. The right standard of judgment comes from this, not from my opinion, not from what I think is right and wrong. That's the reality of what we have to do. We have to get back to the Scriptures. That's why we're getting back to the basics. Because we can and do make mistakes all the time concerning God's commandments. However, God's grace is so much more than we can ever imagine. His grace and love covers the multitude of sins, including divorce. That's what I was talking about last week. That's what I was trying to get at. 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. This is what I've been preaching for the last six months. God uses some pretty horrible people, some pretty weak people in the Old Testament, who we seem to lift up as these great men of faith, who weren't. And yet He uses them to accomplish His will, not theirs or ours. That's what I was trying to preach. That even though you are a sinner, and I am a sinner, saved by grace, He can still use us in our mistakes, in our sins, in our divorces. But guess what? He doesn't need to do anything. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. That's the real message. He uses us weak and feeble people to show His love and compassion to everyone so that they would come to know Him, not us. In fact, the Creator of all things, the Lover of all people, He uses broken vases to house His beautiful flower, Jesus. Think about that picture for a moment. Not because we're famous. Not because we're great. Not because we're a known people or a known person in the world. Not because any of that. Not because we're American. Because He doesn't need us or our name to do anything for Him. Jesus has the name above all names, it says. So who cares if so-and-so is a Christian because they're famous? I don't care. Does that sound harsh? Sorry. I like Tim Tebow. Love him. Loved his sports. Loved football. I don't care that he's a Christian. God doesn't need Tim Tebow to share the truth about himself. Now, it's great that Tim Tebow does that, but it's not necessary. It's what he's called to do. It's what we're all called to do. So whether you're Tim Tebow or some fat Italian from Detroit named Chris, Bossio, then... Yeah, I know. I just said Chris Bossio. You all went right to the Tigers, didn't you? (laughs) that guy is beautiful I'm just kidding anyway (laughs) it's so hard now because I'll say my name Chris Bossy and they'll be like ooh that's your name like yeah yeah you spider I'm just gonna I'm gonna go there (laughs) he doesn't need any of us we're here at this church this hospital 
for sinners to tell others about the great gift given to us by God the Father through God the Son who's worked out by God the Holy Spirit to have a relationship with Him. We broke that relationship in the garden and God has tried to mend it ever since. Do you know Jesus? That's the question I'm going to ask. Do you know Jesus? He was sent to mend that relationship. Today, Christ is going to talk about oaths and relationships with others. That's what we're going to get into. Today, we're going to see what it means to have integrity. I want you to understand what God is trying to say in these next few verses. I can tell you one thing. It's not what you've always been taught or thought. Or maybe it has been. Maybe you have been taught this before. I don't know. I've only been here six months. But I'm encouraged to see. Some of these sayings that Jesus said are not what you might think they are. Or maybe they are. Some people, whenever I talk about these things, I hear this. But what about so-and-so? But what about this teacher? But what about this? But what about that? You know what I ask you to do today for me? Get your butt out of the way and ask God to listen to the message that He's going to give to you. You know, the, the but, uh, what about... What about, but what about, get that but out of the way and just listen. Because I can do some things for you as a pastor and there's some things I can't do for you. In fact, I'm going to tell some of you for you. Here they are. I can't read your minds. <laughs> Quite frankly, it probably is the good thing right now. <laughs> Although it would be kind of cool to be able to see all the thought bubbles there. But I can't read your minds. Some of you hold me for account for unexpected expectations. Come and talk to me. Ask me some questions. Or, find this thing. Say, I want a visit from the pastor. I'll come and visit you. I'll talk to you. It may not be on your timing, but it may be because i got other things I'm doing, but I definitely get it and I'll come and get it. And I'll, I'll visit with you. I'll hang out with you. We'll go... As you plainly can tell, I like to go eat lunch. So I'll go to lunch with you. Heck, I'll even pay. I know, honey, I'm sorry, I'll pay. But I love you. I can't read your mind, so come and talk to me. Ask me anything. Because in communication is a very important thing. In fact, it's emotionally healthy spirituality when we talk to each other about things that happened. What I may have said might hurt you. You need to come and say something to me. That's emotional, healthy spirituality. Don't hold it in. If you do something that hurts me, I'll come say something to you. Lovingly and gently and kindly. Uh, right after we finish our CPL training. <laughs> the second thing is, I can't please everybody. In fact, Jesus couldn't even do that. Third thing is, I can't grow this church. I know that's a shocker for some. The pastor's supposed to grow the church. Um, that's God's job, and trust me, I'm not about to step into that role. I ain't good enough to do that. So it's God's job to grow the church. And, and lastly, I can't ignore sin. I have to address sin. As your pastor, as the shepherd, I can't allow sin to continue. So I'm going to address that issue, whether it's popular or not. I'm going to call us to an account, including myself. Okay? So I love each and every one of you and I care about each and every one of you. But just for a moment, let's try and get our butts out of the way and let God teach Him. Let's take that pride or bad breath 
Because pride is bad breath. Everyone knows you have it except for you. Right? So get a mint from God today in His teachings. And let's hear what He has to say. So we're going to read Matthew. Chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's by the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Do not take an oath at all. In the time of Jesus, many Jewish people, out of fear of God, would make oaths by other things. They would say, for example, I swear by my house that I'll get this done by this time. Or they would say, I swear by my life that I would get it done at this time or I'd get that done. You've heard it said that my word is my bond, right? My word is my bond. It's crazy. Another saying from scriptures that we get in the world today, it's just like the saying we get, um, my word is my bond is the same as the saying we get when, I, when Christ turned water into wine. They saved the best for last. Oh, that came from the Bible? Yeah. They saved the best for last. So, but if I don't do something I said I would do, then you have every right to take my house or my life if I swear by those things. See, Jesus is saying don't do that. Don't swear by something. You can't make one of your hairs white or black. So, let simply your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from evil. This is all about integrity. That's what he's talking about. Have integrity. Integrity is the quality of being honest and having some strong moral principles. Moral uprightness. That's what integrity is. It's the state of being whole and undivided. Remember I taught a few weeks ago about standing up for God's standards and not relaxing on them? We're to be salt or preservatives for God's standards? Jesus is saying the same thing here. He is saying as Christ followers, as Christians, let our integrity be the things that people know us by. We're known by integrity. That's what we are to be known by. Are we known by that in this community, church? Do people talk about Moline Baptist Church as a church that has integrity? That's the question I'm asking. Our core values on the back of the handout you get will be what we're known for hopefully soon. So you can turn it over and look at it because hopefully our core values, our mission will be a known and accepted church family committing to disciple making and transforming our community by living true to the word of God and loving each other well. That's what we're going to be known for. Those core values are what we're going to be known for, hopefully. That you are known and accepted by God. That we live true to the word of God. That we want to make disciples because of God. That's who we're going to be known by, hopefully in this community soon. I'm going to give you a story, two stories to try and hopefully hit home this point of integrity. Story one. A number of years ago, Al Capone, 
owned virtually all of Chicago. He wasn't famous for anything heroic. Instead, he was known for leading an organized crime, an organized group, and illegal bootlegging prostitution and murder. Capone had a lawyer nicknamed Easy Eddie. He was his lawyer because he was very good. In fact, he was so good, Eddie's skills were so amazing, he kept Al Capone out of prison for a very long time. Pretty impressive lawyer. Capone showed his appreciation for Easy Eddie by showering him with every luxury in life that could be enjoyed, including a giant mansion with servants. In fact, the estate he lived in was so big, it filled an entire Chicago block. If you ever been to Chicago, think about that for a moment. That's a huge amount of real estate. Easy Eddie owned as a lawyer for Al Capone. Eddie lived a high life. And he gave little thought to the evils that went on around him. But he had one soft spot in his heart. He had a son whom he completely loved. And he ensured that he had everything in life to help him get ahead. Despite Eddie's involvement in organized crime, he tried to teach his son right from wrong. He wanted his son to be a better man than he was. Yet with all his wealth and influence, there were two things Eddie couldn't pass on to his son. His good name and example. It was later that Easy Eddie decided to try to right all his wrongs. He went to law enforcement and he told the truth about Al Capone in hopes that it would clear up his tarnished name and offer some semblance of integrity to his son. In order to do this, he knew he would have to testify against Al Scarface Capone. And the mob. And that most likely cost him dearly. Probably cost him his life. He testified when within a year, Easy Eddie's life ended in an enormous blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. He died. But in his eyes, he'd given the greatest gift he could to his son. Police pulled from his pocket a rosary, a crucifix, a religious medallion, and a poem he had clipped from a magazine. And the poem read this. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop. At late... Or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. Here's the second story. World War II created many heroes. One such hero was a Lieutenant Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot. One day he entered his entire squadron and they went on a mission. After being airborne, he looked down at his fuel gauge and he realized they forgot to top it off. So his commanders told him, you need to go back. And as he's going back, he sees something that turns his blood cold. He's returning to the ship and he reluctantly drops out of formation. And he saw a Japanese squadron speeding towards the American fleet. With the American fleet gone on a sortie, which is basically a, an attack made by troops coming out of a defensive position, the ship was defenseless. He had no time to bring back his squadron. He had no way of warning the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing he could do, and that was divert them from the fleet. Not taking into account his own personal safety, he dove into a formation of the Japanese planes with his wings, wing-mounted guns blazing, and he surprised one enemy plane after another. And when his ammunition ran out, he dove at enemy planes with the hope of clipping a wing or sending him into a downward spiral. And finally, the surprised and frustrated Japanese squadron took off in another direction. 
Butch O'Hare and his battled fighter limped back to the carrier. Once he landed, he told of his adventure, and the film from the gun-mounted cameras on his plane told the entire tale, showed the extent of Butch's heroism. He destroyed five enemy aircraft. Because of his actions, he became the Navy's first ace of World War II. He was the first naval aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. And a year later, at the age of 29, he was killed in combat. His hometown would not allow his memory to fade. And today, the O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named after his bravery. So what do these two stories have in common? Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. What are we known by, church? Are you followers of Jesus? Are you followers of the past? People who hold on to integrity of letting their yes be yes and their no be no, are we going to be people who hold on to those things or are we going to be people who hold on to oaths and other things? What's it like to have someone who doesn't keep their promise? How does it make you feel? How many of you keep your promises? How many of you in this church are known for your integrity? I've only been here six months and I'm getting to know each and every one of you as fast as I possibly can and as lovingly as I possibly can. But I want to know you. I want to know what you're known by. My desire for everyone here is to know Jesus Christ and to love Him well and learn to love each other well. That's the goal of this church. That's the mission of this church. That's what this church is going to be known by. We will be a church that gives grace because we've received grace. We will be a church that gives forgiveness because we've been forgiven. We're going to be a church known for integrity because we give integrity. We have promises that we keep. That's what we're going to do. What does it mean to be a yes? As a yes person. Here's a funny saying about storytelling. I have a philosophy. (laughs) It either happened the way that I told you it happened, or it should have happened that way. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We need to be trusted. We need to be able to say yes as our yes and no as our no, and we need to be okay with that. Most people aren't okay with that. They're very nervous to be able to say no to somebody. There'll be a time when you say to me, Pastor, I need you to be here, and I'm going to have to say to you, no, I can't. And that might hurt you, but let's talk about it. Let's communicate. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. There's no need to swear by anything, even by God. The issue is nothing less than and nothing more than being truthful or having truthfulness. When someone does live that way, look at what Jesus says about that person and how they should interact with others who might not necessarily live that way. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
First thing is, stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. None of this is different, but it might be different in how you understand the interpretation of it. Here's the thing I found. First, Jesus is not talking about getting walked all over, people. That's not what he's saying. So let me dispel that myth right away. He's saying, stand up for yourself and do it in a manner that kills the other person with kindness. This is what a person of integrity looks like. They kill people with kindness. Proverbs 25, 22 through 22, or sorry, 21 through 22 says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Did you know that in ancient Near Eastern culture that if you slap someone, you do it with a backhand? Okay? And if you turn the other cheek, that invites them to hit you with an open hand slap. I can tell you right now, they would never do that. Unless they wanted to go to blows with you. Unless they wanted to fight you. But a person in ancient Eastern, they still do it in Iran today. You can smack someone, backhand them. If you disagree with them, if you don't like them, if you have a position that's hard, you can actually smack them. Can you imagine that happening in America today? wonder how many Trump voters would get hit today. wonder how many Obama voters would get hit today. wonder how many people would be smacking each other. I can just see it. You're walking through the mall and everyone's hitting each other. be crazy. But in this time, this is what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus is saying here, turn the other cheek as a way to say, go ahead and hit me. I'm still here. I'm still standing up for truth. Stand up for your rights. We talk a lot about bullying today, and I think we've taught kids the wrong message. We've told them not to hit back, which is fine, but to run and tell someone else. Do you know what that does to a person? Yes, it might make it fine for them for now, but it gets them to depend on others to fight their fights. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. But I remember what my, my parents told me. If a person hits you, stand up to a bully. Now, look, I'm not saying you need to hit the person. I'm just saying stand your ground. Okay? We need to be able to teach people to stand up to bullies. The only way you can stand up to a, a bully, someone who's picking on you, is to stand your ground. We had a nation that used to fight for what's right. Now we have a nation that's not willing to fight for anything. That's what I'm scared of. We're telling kids today at stopbullying.gov, this is what they tell them. Tell adults that you're being bullied. Really? I mean, that's fine. Go tell an adult. But the reality is most kids are ashamed to say anything after they're getting bullied. They're even ashamed to say something to their parents when they're getting bullied online. Why did my daughter commit suicide at the age of 13? Oh, look, all these Facebook people were making fun of her, calling her fat and ugly and all these different things. She didn't even have the shame. She couldn't even say to her parents how hard it was for her. Go look it up. It's a story on the internet. So yeah, go tell somebody, but guess what? Most people won't because they're too ashamed. They're too afraid. They're too scared to say something. So what we need to do, we need to stand up. We need to teach them to stand up for their right to life. We need to teach them that their God-given right to be a person, loved by God, that they need to learn to listen to stand up and teach them how to defend themselves. I'm not talking about hitting each other. I'm talking about standing up, being willing to speak up, act with confidence, use their voices. 
And use, yes, use physical violence in the end if necessary. Last resort kind of thing. It's probably harsh for some people to hear, especially in America today. But this is what Jesus is saying here. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Stand up for yourself. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is saying, stand up for yourself. Let me say it to you this way. No one who steals from you or forces you to go a mile with them wants you to go two miles. You're like, dude, yeah, I made you go a mile with me. Don't go two. No, no, I'll go two with you. Yeah, I want your tunic. Well, here, here's my cloak. No, I didn't want that. You're taking my cell phone. Here's my wallet. No, no, I'm, I'm, I just wanted your cell phone. No, no, here's my wallet. Here's the money I have in my pocket. It burns heaping coals on them. That's what it does. That's what Christ was encouraging here. When we stand up and respond to hatred opposite of what the world thinks, or respond in an unnatural way, it shows the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what Christ is calling us to do. We're to respond in a powerful, loving way when someone wrongs us. And yet, are we doing that as a church in America? Second thing is, Jesus provides the perfect example of fulfilling this way of ethics or being. See, kingdom ethics demands not mechanical compliance to rules, but a lifestyle governed by the free race of God Kingdom ethics demands not mechanical compliance to the rules, but a lifestyle governed by the free grace of God. Even though Christ was murdered by the leaders of his time and was falsely accused of crimes and was innocent, he stood up for God's standards and his mission for his life. He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He knew what he was getting into when he was attacked, and yet he stood for the truth. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Therefore, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His example of being willing to die for others is an example of what it means to do more than you're forced to do. There's no need for revenge when someone wrongs you. There's only need for forgiveness. There's no need for revenge when someone wrongs you. There's only grace. There's no need for revenge when someone wrongs you. There's only compassion. I could keep going on and on. Christians know this truth because we don't live for this life. We live for the next. We don't store up our treasures here on earth. We store them up in heaven. We're going to get into that in Matthew chapter 6 shortly. But for today, Christians know this truth. Christ followers should be willing to do more than we are forced to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to stand up for God's standards and have integrity. We could be easy eddies. We could be butch O'Hare. Let me sum this up for you. Don't make any ills. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We live by integrity. We're going to be known as a church that lives by integrity, forgiveness, grace, and love because we've experienced those things in our lives with Christ. And the second thing is, He's saying, stand up for yourself, but do it in a manner that kills the other person with kindness. 
when we stand up and we respond to hatred opposite of what the world thinks, or we, or we respond in an unnatural way, it shows the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus provides the perfect example of fulfilling this way of ethics or being. Again, kingdom ethics does not demand mechanical compliance to the rules. But a lifestyle governed by the free grace of God, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. No, it's not working now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You that You love us, even when we make mistakes. We thank You that we are, unfortunately, sometimes prideful, and yet You still love us. Lord, help us to get rid of our pride. Help us to get rid of our self-love and start to love others as You would love them. Help us, Lord, to listen to Your teachings, Your Word. Help us to be a church of integrity and compassion and love and forgiveness. Help us to speak the truth as well, though, God. Some of us are too scared to speak the truth because we're afraid of offending people. Lord, Your message is offensive. Your way of being is offensive to the world. It really is. So, Lord, I just pray that we would be having boldness and a willingness and a hope. A hope in You. Because You say in 1 Peter 3 that always be prepared to give an account for why we have the hope that we have. Doing it with gentleness and reverence. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 we are fighting against the weapons of this warfare. We're, to, we're called to destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We are to do that. We're not to be passive. We're to hold on to the standards. So I pray, God, that we would do those things. We'd hold on to your standards. We'd be willing to do it in a loving way, in a kind way, in a gentle way, in a way that speaks the truth. You're the one who grows this church, not me, not us. So God, we pray that as we are preaching the truth and an unloving message for some of the people in this world, Lord, they would hear the truth and see that it is loving, that you have a standard, that you want us to all live by those standards. I thank you that we can do that in America today, at least for now. The tides are a-changing. So Lord, we give this to you, we give this church to you, this service to you, we pray, God, as we're about to take communion, that we would hear and heed the fact that you're coming back. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.